Greetings, and welcome to another episode of Theologically Driven, a podcast for those who want to know God through His Word and have that knowledge drive their decisions. This podcast is brought to you by Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, a seminary devoted to exalting God by expounding His Word. You can learn more at dbts.edu. I'm Ben Edwards, Dean of Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, and in this episode, we'll be discussing shepherding from the pulpit. My guest this week is Dr. David Dorn, President of DBTS and Senior Pastor of Inner City Baptist Church. Dr. Dorn, thanks for joining us again today. Good to be here. Now, if we're going to talk about shepherding from the pulpit, it might be helpful to, to begin by describing what we mean by shepherding. What, what is included in shepherding? What is that? Right. So, I mean, I think um, there's a number of things that could be said. It's for simplicity's sake, I sort of lock in a little bit on First Thessalonians 5.12, which it talks about those who have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. So they, um, they are the spiritual leaders in the congregation, therefore responsible for overseeing the direction of the congregation as they obey Christ's commands and also the teaching side of it. So I think that's where people get, and I like it, I mean, feeding and leading, right? We have a responsibility as shepherds for the care of the flock, which uh, involves leadership aspects and and certainly the providing of the spiritual nourishment through the ministry of the Word. Now, how does that task connect to the preaching ministry? What, what's the connection between shepherding and pulpit ministry? Right. So part of what I would be, um, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think you're asking this question because you're sort of teeing it up for me. All right. So I want to be clear on that is I think, unfortunately, um, I think we've put a hard divide between them uh, in, you know, say the last hundred years. Um, I think the conception of a pastor prior to that was that he was actually primarily viewed as like a pastor theologian, a, 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 a person who teaches God's word and leads the congregation to obey it. Um, the more programmatic we've become, uh, you know, particularly if you go back, say, 75 years or so, where you know, you start to have influence of build big churches, church growth kinds of strategies. The the conception of a pastor started to shift and morph more into, on one hand, a, a CEO executive. But because he has speaking responsibilities, you know, he needed to be a good communicator. Um, and almost move the pulpit away from being, if I could put it this way, sort of the engine to, well, you, you know, you have to be able to do it, but the real leadership happens away from there because now it was supervision of programs and activities and, uh, you know, I mean, when you get a paradigm that has the health of your church is determined by, you know, bodies, buildings, and budgets, then that's where that's where the energy goes, right? Rather than the health of your church, say, defined like Ephesians 4 would, that, that the body's growing in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and, and is not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, 
Um, so I think the paradigm started to shift. Well, probably in a few ways. Another way would be to move away from the centrality of the pulpit to more personal care, right? The pastor as counselor. So his primary way of really seeing people change is one-on-one ministry, right? So I, over the course of my life, I've heard that you know, if you really want to see people change, it's not going to be the pulpit. It's going to be, and then fill it in whatever they're, you know, usually it's a a person who has a particular interest in a kind of ministry, right? Counselor, discipler, or whatever. Small groups. Right. So, you know, they're passionate about that. And so they make the case, you know, this is really going to change, you know, change people. But I think, I, I, so I, I think historically, people wouldn't have thought of preaching and pastoring as distinct. They would have seen it, they would have seen the public ministry of the word as being essential to it. And, and I think rightly so, you know, if you look at the qualifications and even the, you know, not, not just what the scripture sets the standard, say 1 Timothy 3.2, able to teach, Titus 1.9, if you're going to be qualified to be an elder, you have to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict, right? So if you can't, if you can't do that, you're not qualified, and then if you're going to be doing it well and worthy of double honor, like First Timothy 5 says, you're, you're working hard at preaching and teaching. So I just think, uh, I think we, in the modern concept of church life and pastoral ministry, we've tended to do one of two things. Um, Separate leadership from the preaching uh, by emphasizing a non-preaching primary load or by turning a person into merely a pulpiteer, right? The only thing they do is preach. So they show up and they, you know, they deliver, if they deliver a great sermon, then then that's okay because everyone else is is doing all the shepherd, you know. They're doing all the sheep work. This guy's just the magnet, and um, I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a side, you know, drive-by comment. But I think that's why a lot of the multi-church thing, you know, took off, was because you had someone who's a dynamic pulpiteer and can gather a crowd. But you know, here are these people watching on video. They're never gonna. They're never gonna cross paths with this guy. He's not actually going to be doing any care of the sheep, or even in some sense, direction and leading of that group of people. He's just the magnet, right? Because he's a great pulpiteer, and and I think that perpetuates the um, the clash in concepts that my sense of the New Testament, they wouldn't have gotten, and certainly most of church history, they would have looked at that and said, what? You know, what are you talking about? And so, in a sense, the answer to the question of how they connected it is you can't disconnect them. Right. There's no way to to separate shepherding from the preaching and pulpit ministry of the church. And in fact, the, the preaching and pulpit ministry is at the heart of what you're doing as a shepherd in many ways. 
So what I would say, um, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think probably in fairness, we'd say the public pro- public ministry of the word, right? Because if uh, if you have, um, you know, you, you, you may have shepherds who meet the qualifications, who we wouldn't normally, they, they may not be the regular preacher in the pulpit, but they are regularly teaching God's people his word and and using the word. And then, um, then together uh, with the pastors, thinking through what the ramifications are of what we believe from the word for the direction we ought to go. Because I think that's that's the part that I think gets missed. Um, you know, so so if we're talking pastor theologians, I think sometimes people immediately start to think more of like academic theology. And I think that's certainly true because the local church is the pillar and support of the truth. And so so the local church should be the bastion of biblical defense, right? I don't think it should be handed off to the academy uh, or professional theologians in that regard. Uh, but I think that's a pretty narrow view of theology, right? The- theology um, is, you know, is really, in a sense, the working out of the good and necessary consequences of God's word. So what's your theology of the church when it when we're talking not just like the technical issues, but what is the church supposed to be and do? And that being developed from the scriptures gives you a theological vision for how the church is to carry out the work of Jesus Christ. And and I think every pastor is supposed to be doing that in every church. <laughs> Right? He, he shouldn't be just going, well, let me go read somebody's book or let me just hand out somebody's book. It should be week-by-week week exposition of what the scriptures say about that that's drawing out the theological ramifications. When it comes to godliness and Christian living, you know, every exposition of a text is moving toward theological realities about what it means to to live. I mean, so I think you can say the pastor's teaching people weekly what a theology of suffering is, what a theology of mer- marriage is, what a theology of witness. I mean, that's if he's if if a, if a shepherd's not moving to that, then he's not really leading the 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 sheep in the direction that the great shepherd wants them to go. If all it is is he's like he's delivering a you know, inspiring message on some isolated topic or even just like they walk away knowing what this passage says and knowing the interpretive answers to questions, but it really hasn't been pushed out to. So what does that mean for how we live personally and congregationally? That's that's what I would mean by shepherding. I mean, it, you're. Uh, I mean, the way I teach it in a class is that that leadership is a responsibility to influence the beliefs and behaviors of God's people, so that they're carrying out Christ's mission. 
And the key there were key there is influence, and I'm doing that through the ministry of the word. Like, look at this passage. You know, here's what God says to us about what the church is supposed to be. So, folks, we need to be that, right? We need to we need to have that as our belief, and and practically that means here's why we do some of the things that we do, right? If if this is you know, if this is what the scriptures teach about missions, for instance, then we should send out missionaries and support missionaries who are doing that and not go, it, it, you know, any, anything goes, right? If anybody's got a good idea, you know, great, we'll, we'll, we'll support it. It would be how well does that line up with what we believe the scriptures teach about fulfilling the Great Commission, and and the the shepherds are are helping shape the way people think, influence their beliefs, and guiding the corporate or congregational implementation of that. and and I and I think the center of that has to be the the public proclamation of God's word. So, so any shepherd has to be basing their shepherding on the, the scriptures, the feeding and leading. It's flowing out of what God's word says. And, and in the life of the church, the, the pulpit ministry is central to the communication of God's right. word. And so inevitably it has to be central to the shepherding work going on in the church. Right. Yes. And so what I'd say is, um, so I think, I think that's a good way to say it. it the, the pulpit ministry has to be central. Doesn't mean it's the only ministry. Right, because there'll be pastors teaching classes, counseling. You know, uh, the 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 teaching of this should permeate the church, and and I think most of us would recognize immediately the conflict if all of that teaching's happening and the pulpits not lined up with it. Right, at that we'd be going, how how can we do that? I mean, the the time we have the. In principle, the whole congregation gathered to to hear from the Word of God, and it's going a different direction than what's being taught by the shepherds everywhere else in the place and and conversations. So, so it it I mean in a sense it's um, you know I'm not I'm not very I'm not probably have the musical ability to make this analogy, but you know it's like the orchestra is on the platform. And the first violinist steps up and starts to get the string section tuned, right? They don't all just tune on their own. They're all tuning to a centralized voice, right? And the Word of God is the thing that sets that 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 tune. Um, and the primary way in which that's happening for all of the congregation is through the pulpit ministry. Right when the congregations gather, and that's really what we mean by pulpit ministry. It's it's when the assembly gathers to worship, and the word of God is read and taught, and the congregation is called to to use a piper kind of thing to offer ourselves in glad submission to it. I mean that's that's got to be the heart heart of the leadership, not not a bureaucratic organizational thing that just moves people into the right positions and writes policies for people. I mean, it's got to be persuading the heart, I think. 
Is there any way that this understanding would influence how someone would, would approach their preaching ministry if they're thinking, this is central to my shepherding role? Would that cause my preaching ministry to be characterized in any particular way? Well, I mean, certainly, uh, like pre, you know, there should be pre-commitments of diligence, right? And if, if I'm going to um, understand the stewardship entrusted Right, and that's what it is. Titus one in that you know in that uh, that passage that I quoted from about you know instructing and refuting a few verses before that he talks about this role as 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 a steward over God's house. Right, so we've been given a task, uh, a responsibility entrusted to us by God. So that should be the kind of thing that results in working hard at preaching and teaching or or those who labor among you, right? That's a, a word that reflects a kind of stren, strenuous commitment to it. It's not, um, you know, when you stand up to speak on behalf of God, you had better be recognizing the solemnity of that and the seriousness of it. So, so I would think it, it would require a lot of a prayerful, diligent work with the text of Scripture and then thinking through the ramifications of that for a particular time and place. This congregation, in this context, how are we going to do do the will of God? And and I think that's, that's a critical mindset about it because um, that's the account we're going to give, right? We're going to we're going to answer to, to the Lord for our care of the souls entrusted to us, and and uh, part of that is how how we worship the Lord, how we go about doing the mission, how you know how we function as a church, right? We we've tended to individualize that in a way that we shouldn't lose, but but it's actually we have a a congregational responsibility too. So we need to be thinking it out that way. And that's what I'd say is goes from the heart and mindset to the practice is um, when I'm, when I'm wrestling with texts of scripture, am I thinking about the ramifications of those texts for the congregation as the congregation, right? Not just for, this man who's in the congregation who is a husband or a father or an employee or an employer, but how is the congregation as congregation living this out? You know, and, and that would be true even, you know, um, you know, so I preach what the scriptures teach about sanctification, Right? There's all kinds of individual applications. So this is what God says about your sanctification. But that also has ramifications for how we disciple, how we, how we care for people's growth. What do we do in the congregation to be consistent with our understanding of sanctification? Right, Because it could be that we're building up with one hand and tearing down with the other. You know, privately, we're saying this is what you know. This is what a biblical view of sanctification is. But then our ministry, we select uh, tools and resources and programs that actually are counter contradicting that. Right? I mean, that's that wouldn't make sense to me. I mean, there's got to be some 
working out of the ramifications of this for the life of the church as church as well. And if the the preaching ministry of the church, the pulpit ministry, is central in, in setting a trajectory at the heart of these things, it would seem that there should be a, a priority given to that task in, in your week as a pastor. If you're the one who's going to be publicly proclaiming God's word right. and, and recognizing how crucial it is to the life of the church, then there, there should be a, a, a kind of, you know, significant devotion of time and effort right. towards that end. Some churches are able to, to kind of divide some of the other ministry of the church so that uh, one pastor is freed up to do a bit more of that. A lot of churches right. don't have that right. ability. A- any th- suggestions, any thoughts for, for how to, to kind of think through that? You know, how much time should someone be spending preparing to proclaim God's word in the pulpit if this is so central to, to what they do as a shepherd? Well, that's, that's the question I think I always, I always end up punting on because we're all different. Um, and the passages we're dealing with at any given time are different, right? So, I mean, I, I'm preaching through Romans, so I'm preaching Romans 7, and it's the first nice time. Nice, simple passage, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> first time I've, I've ever read a PhD dissertation in preparation for for handling a passage, right? So, so um, that you know that that becomes a totally different ball game when you're in a passage like that. Um, so there's there's certain variables, and and obviously you know I've been in preaching ministries now for forty years, so I come at it differently than somebody who's in his fourth year in terms of already passages that have been preached through that are helping me understand this passage. But I think I think the thing we have to do is to say a man should be able to spend all things being equal, he should be able to spend whatever time is necessary, which means his life can't be full of doing things that it's not necessary for him to do. Right? There are other people that could be doing them. Right? I mean, years ago, uh, actually, I'd commend it. I, I would still commend it to anybody who's in a, a scenario where they're just sort of shaping the thinking of the church. Right? Um, and I'm gonna hopefully I'm gonna get it right. Preaching with freshness. I think it's Bruce Mahwini. Mahwini. It's M A W H I N N E Y. I think. And it's actually a book that's written, uh, it's a very helpful book on preaching, but written in sort of a narrative style where a pastor goes to a church where he's basically being asked to do everything, cut the grass, do the bulletin, carry out all these things. And it walks through him helping shape the thinking of the church about where his priorities should be and how they could do that. And, and I think it's a commendable book, uh, both for the preaching Council, but also for that side of it, if a guy's going, I know what I'm supposed to do, but right now I'm cumbered with all kinds of other, and they find themselves a little bit in an Act Six kind of scenario, right? There's a legitimate thing that needs to be done, caring for these widows, but it's cutting into the primary thing that they were supposed to do, the ministry of prayer and the word. And, and sometimes guys then have to lead their churches to make decisions like they did in Act 6 and, and say, hey, there's, there's stuff that's good but not necessary. 
for the pastor or pastors to be doing. And and so we need to get the you know shape reshape the culture. I you know I was blessed that I inherited uh, a great culture. My predecessor who had been here for forty years had really helped shape the culture of the church. That um, the primary preaching teaching pastor that that was his primary focus. Right. So it's not. I don't operate quite the same way, but I mean, in his case, they pretty much had had crafted a thing that you, you didn't, you know, you, uh, before noon, you you didn't have any access, right? I mean, it, it pretty much would have had to have been absolute emergency to penetrate the veil to get access. Of course, that was like pre cell phones, pre text, pre email, right? So now the problem is. Um, you know, getting that kind of a cone of silence is a little harder, but it, it really did sort of create a value system in the church that, you know, this this uh, this responsibility to stand up before the congregation twice on the Lord's Day and proclaim the Word of God uh, is is a real task, right? And sometimes people who don't study for a living struggle with that because they don't think studying is doing right there's 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 still a little bit of a dichotomy in our culture between uh mental you know i think that's actually changed a little bit with knowledge workers information stuff but but you know the 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 task of reading studying writing um isn't always viewed as work Right, so if someone said, "Do you have anything to do today?" They're expecting you to list a bunch of tasks that have to be done. Saying, "I'm studying this morning," doesn't doesn't necessarily resonate like that. So it takes time to shape that culture, and I'm so I'm saying is I was blessed to be able to inherit a culture that had a sense of that. Right. Um, so you might encourage someone if they're they're trying to shape that culture, like you're saying they're. There, there's easy access now, but maybe even telling your congregation, look, Tuesday mornings, I'm probably not going to respond to any of your messages or something like that. You know, just giving them some, some sense of I'm devoting myself to a task at this time. And so I, you know, want to be available, but I'm not going to be here right. in order for me to be able to focus on what I do and just begin to help people to think that way and, and, and become to expect it uh, to, to allow them the the time and effort they need to, to do this important task. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, guys have lots of ways like, you know, so uh, you can, you know, if you actually treat, I mean, if you actually um, use your calendar rather than your task list, right? So, so it would be, you know, someone says, Hey, I, you know, can I see you on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock? I have another commitment. Because you've actually scheduled a commitment. That commitment is, you know, spend time with Paul, right? And, you know, so there's there's ways in which you can start to frame your life that that doesn't – you're not just available for everything. I mean, you can um, – you know, I mean, I, I sent an email to somebody on Monday, a pastor asking a question, and I got auto office re, out of office reply that said – 
you know, I won't be back in the office until tomorrow because I know Mo- Monday's their day off, right? So I, I, I was sending it to a few people, so I wasn't going to wait till Tuesday. I just threw it because he's going to—he's not—he's not checking his email, which is fine by me, right? And and so you know, it might be that you know, if you say I'm going to study all Tuesday morning, you put something on your email that says. Um, thanks for writing. You know, I won't be available until such and such a time. I'll I'll get back to you after that. And then I said, you know, possibly with like if this is an emergency, here's you know, here's a way to solve that because I don't think we want to be uh, careless about that. Right? But I I just think I mean I've said this to guys you know in classes. Um, we we do we just need to come to you know we need to be honest about the change in our culture, and that is it's made it incredibly easy for people just to throw things at us, right? I mean, a hundred years ago, if this church member had a problem and they had to go attach their horses to their carriage and ride, you know, 45 minutes to get to you to ask you to do something, it would be a pretty significant issue before they did that. But now this person can have something come up. They can grab their phone and send you a text or an email, right? Because they 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 basically are just taking it and passing it along, right? That's and and so all of a sudden things that the natural filtering system has has been reduced so that people can bring stuff to your attention that that would have never made it if it cost them more to do it right and and I think we we just need to be honest about that because that's that doesn't mean all of a sudden because they can get to me in 2 seconds that I have to get back to them in 2 seconds right and and um you know, I think, I mean, this is probably like a prejudiced way to say it, right? But I think most reasonable people understand that. And most reasonable people are doing like I did with that guy. I, I, would, I could have told you before I sent the email, I'm going to get an out-of-office out of reply. But I'm not going to write an email to the rest of the guys and then wait until Tuesday morning to send him one. When I know he's not checking his email, so it's not—it's no skin from him, right? So I'm just going to include him, and it's going to bounce back, and I've got no expectation that I'm going to hear from him until tomorrow. It's no problem, right? But if I were an idiot, that's probably a hard way to say it, but I'd get mad at him because my problem didn't get answered immediately because he has to drop everything in his life to solve my problem, right? I, I, would, I would think that... That's an unreasonable position unless it is like nuclear grade problem, right? I mean, if if there's a genuine, you know, soul threatening, life threatening emergency, and I get wind of it, I need to do something. But if it's like, you know, hey, pastor, I got a question. It's like okay, I'll when I I'll, I'll get to an answer once I get. You know the other stuff that has to be done because because Sunday's coming, right? I mean it's it's coming, whether whether 
any of us like it or not, it's going to be here. And I got to be ready to stand up and, and help, in our context, hundreds of people, right? Not, and I can't, I can't it's got to be something really, really serious to take one person's issue and, and have it leverage damage onto the congregation's benefit, right? There are cases like that. But they're not as many as sometimes, you know, we, we think. And we haven't really delved into it, but probably the flip side as well is making sure you're not putting things in your life that distract you that are unnecessary, not just right. other people putting it on you, but, but you yourself adding things in that, that don't need to be done right. so that you can focus on, on what does need to be done. Right. Because if we're, I mean, if we're, if, if we've wasted a bunch of time and then we're telling people with real needs, we don't have time for them. At some point, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna. Well, I should. Say, it ought to have an impact on our conscience, right? Because, because we're basically squandering time, and then saying we don't have time to do whatever, you know. And I would say, you know, personally, we shouldn't probably use. I don't. I I didn't have time very often, right? Because we have all the time there is. I mean. We're not going to get any more time. The issue is how we're choosing to use our time. I didn't have time sounds better than it wasn't important enough for me to deal with. But Correct. that's really what we're saying. Right? Well, yeah, <laughs> and and that's you know, and 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 common sense would say you don't you know you don't want to show what sounds like disrespect, but but the fact is I'm making I'm making choices, and and every now and then I do need to step back and say you know. What kind of barnacles have accumulated to the side of my ministerial boat that are slowing down my ability to get through the water, right? And sometimes you just got to scrub those all off and say, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make better pace now that we've cleaned away the things that are just slowing us down. And every one of us should do that, right? Because it's... You know, we, we can end up with more things, doing more things than we realize just because they just have a tendency to, to accumulate. And the ministry and the preaching ministry word is not one of those barnacles. That's that's right. what you're you're taking other things off because this is one of the things you have to do. Right. And it's so important to the health of the church. Right. And so, you know, um, there and, and there can be good things, right? I mean, there there can be good things that start to uh, impinge on the most important things, and and you know, I mean, we've, uh, I mean, you could turn that statement all kinds of directions, right? I mean, you know, you could let good ministerial things start to impinge on the necessary family things. You can let good ministerial things impinge on the necessary ministerial things. You can let good outside things start to affect. I mean, it's, you know, it's probably a constant battle uh, that we face between uh, good and most important. So. Well, thank you very much for, for joining us today, Dr. Dorn, and thank you for listening to this episode, Theologically Driven. If you enjoyed it, we'd love for you to share it with someone else that you think could benefit from this discussion. You can find out more about our podcast, Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary at dbts.edu. We look forward to our next time together. Until then, keep seeking the Lord.